Hoody hoo. Hey guys, welcome to episode 88. Okay guys, back again. Um, as I said many times, you know, finding finding guests is always... I Well, in the beginning it was, it was an anxiety for me. I didn't really know how I was going to find anybody, not knowing anyone. And, um, you know, the Facebook groups and stuff has, has helped. And But, uh, you know, Podmatch, I've always said many times, has really been a great tool. Um, and it sucks because you can't really just find Podmatch. I mean, if you type it in, you can, but it doesn't come up in, in, in sites that are similar to it. Um, and, and so I don't know why, but it, it's, to me, the most efficient one. And, and uh, the fact that it is free, even though you can pay for it, uh, it does its job. And so our next guest, um, she reached out to me on there, which is, she isn't the first person, but, uh, she is one of the first people on there to actually reach out to me. Usually I'm the one doing all the, you know, seeing what are other people up to, what their business is. Um, but, uh, yeah, she told me her story and we had a nice conversation the other night. And, um, as I promised her today, I am not going to talk as much cause I talked way too much that night. Um, so why don't you uh, introduce yourself and, you know, tell us a little about yourself. For sure. Thanks for having me. I'm Heather Hutchison. I'm a singer-songwriter. I have three albums out so far, and I'm working on a fourth right now, which is really exciting. And I just released my new memoir called Holding One by Letting Go that kind of chronicles my life as a blind person in Canada and Latin America and my struggles with my mental health since I was really young, which, you know, ultimately culminated in me being hospitalized for psychiatric care at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it really kind of gets into that and what the hospitalization was like and, and just life in general, what it's been like. Right, exactly. Um, so you, you mentioned you were, you know, Latin America and Canada. Where were you ac- exactly born at? I was born in Canada and moved to Peru. Oh, okay. Is that where you live now? No, I'm back in Canada. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, Vancouver Island. Right, okay. Which okay. is kind of by Seattle. Right, gotcha. That's what I thought. Um, okay, so uh, what what was the... Do you know what the condition is called that you were born with? Yeah, Weaver's congenital amaurosis, LCA. Um, okay, so a lot of big words. Um, do you... <laughs> Can you explain exactly what that means? Yeah, for sure. Basically, it means that my rods and cones in my eyes didn't develop properly. So I struggle with different, you know, light, just brightness and things. I actually see better in low light than bright light, which is weird because everybody thinks it's like the opposite. But in bright light, I'm actually like completely blind. But in a couple minutes, right, like when the sun sets and it's kind of that, you know, dusk, almost darkness is actually when I see best. What about at night? At night, so-so. It's not as good as at dusk, but it's not as bad as like during the day when the sun's out. At its very best, is there what can you see? Uh, basically, just shapes, I guess. Like, I might be able to see that a person is standing there, but I would never be able to recognize who the person is by sight. Right. Is there, have you looked into it, or, you know, is there any way to kind of, in your house, is there any way to, like, kind of recreate that specific volume of light? 
so that you can see some things? I actually tried, like with sun, um, sunglasses and stuff. It, I don't know. It's never quite the same. I don't know what it is specifically about being outdoors at dusk. But oh. yeah, like if I don't turn all the lights on in my house, it's actually better. So it drives people insane. They're like, why don't you turn on more lights? And I'm like, I see better like this. <laughs> Um, well, okay. Um, so is this a, like, is this a genetic thing? Is this just like a, a freakish thing? Like, is it, is it in your genes that like you could pass this on or? Yes, it's a genetic thing. So the, a partner would have to be carrying it as well. So someone else in your family has it? No, nobody actually, I mean, they're very likely they're carriers, but nobody actually has it. You know, oh. dominantly right gotcha okay i understand um so what, what was your like, what was your family like when it comes to you being young with this condition were they supportive um you know what, what did they do for you yeah like my early childhood was super normal i'm not sure that i even really realized that i was you know quote unquote different as determined by society until I was probably like five years old because nobody ever really told me that I couldn't do anything. You know, I'd follow my cousins and my brother around and I'd be into whatever they were doing, you know, riding bikes and rollerblading and slip and slide and all that. So my family was really, you know, they didn't keep me in a protective bubble, which I think unfortunately can happen with a lot of people with disabilities. Their parents really want to protect them. Right. But fortunately for me, my parents encouraged me to do, you know, what everybody else was doing. And if I fell, to get back up and try again. So I, I think that's a really positive thing. I, my mom tells me, too, that, like, even if she tried to keep me in a protective bubble, like, I just didn't have the personality that, yeah. you know, I wouldn't be tied down sort of thing. So, right. but yeah, it was pretty, pretty normal. They, they really encouraged me to do what everybody else is doing which is awesome yeah no that is good yeah because i my mom was kind of very like super protective it took a long time for me to try to uh just fly away uh, I, I stayed way too long oh, okay yeah and i didn't i didn't really have any ambitions i just was kind of like okay well i'm gonna stay close to the, the nest because you know this is what i know and you know it was, it was kind of a detriment i didn't really you know, know how to be independent. And so now later in life, I'm now doing it, but it, it there's still certain parts where I just feel weird. And it's like, oh, son of a bitch. Yeah, for sure. I think it's kind of a disservice when parents of people with disabilities try so hard to protect them because in the end, they're kind of not protecting them because eventually they do have to go out into this world and know how to navigate it. Yeah. But, I mean, you also can kind of understand why they do it, too. It's, you know, especially a mother. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you see someone just really struggling and in and, and a lot of pain and so on. And, and it's like, what do you expect them to do? Just, I mean, again, for the good parents, not the, the bad ones. The bad ones will just say whatever. But um, so, so when did you finally kind of realize that you were different? I was actually, I remember the, the exact moment. I was five years old and I was on vacation with my family and I was sitting on the playground with this kid who was a couple of years older than me and we were the only two kids on the playground that afternoon and we made fast friends and, 
you know, as kids do, and we were racing on the monkey bars and up and down the slides and everything, and then all of a sudden he asked me, why don't you look at anything? And to me, back then, blindness was just, you know, it just was. It was no different than being born with brown hair and blue eyes, so I told him, super matter-of-factly, I can't, I'm blind, and he, he got so angry all of a sudden that he actually shoved me backwards and flew down the slide, yelled some insults about me being blind, and then got on his bike and, and pedaled away as fast as he could. So it was such a dramatic, like, violent reaction. I remember laying there on the ground by fell when she pushed me and just thinking, like, I'm different. This is forever. Yeah. And, and you... I mean, you were so young and still didn't really know much, but your mother had the conversation with you of what you were from, you know, what the differences between, you know, your other siblings and, and, and your mother from you? Yeah, I don't know that I really remember like being sat down and told, okay, you're blind. I think after that happened, they did tell me, they told me a little bit more about my specific condition and stuff because I think they thought, that hopefully if I had an understanding of what it was I had, that it would be easier for me to kind of relate to people if I ever found myself in a situation like that again on the playground or whatever. Right. But I meant before that whole incident, like, did you really, I mean, you obviously knew that you were blind, but did you, could you comprehend at that age that like your family and everyone else can see what you can't? Mm-hmm. So that was something you, you did? Yeah, understand. I think it was, yeah, for sure. Like, I realized that people could see things that I couldn't, but it was just kind of like, oh, like, I, I didn't think about it, really. It was it just was what it was. It wasn't frustrating. It wasn't sad. It just was how things were. Right. So how did that incident kind of carry on for the next however many years? I think... After that incident, I became more self-aware and I started realizing that even some adults were uncomfortable around me. And I think around that age, you know, five, six, other kids start to realize, too, that you're different from them. So, you know, then the, the bullying started. And at first, it was pretty innocent things, you know, like, oh, how many fingers am I holding up? Who am I? You know, they'd try and, like, jump out from behind something and scare me, you know, stuff like that. And then as we got older, you know, into kind of junior high and high school, the bullying got more physical. People, you know, the things that they said were were more cruel. So it definitely did have an effect going forward of me feeling different and the world starting to kind of really show that, I guess, after I was, made aware of it for that first time and canadians are considered to be so nice take that canada (laughs) i know i don't know why we have this like weird reputation because like i don't really think we're any more nice than anybody else really but yeah we definitely i hear that a lot like oh but canadians don't bully yeah i know they do i think it's just because you're compared to your neighbor and your neighbors, a lot of yeah. Americans are very pompous, and they will say that 
we're the greatest country in the world and they've never traveled. Even if they are or aren't, they just never traveled. So they just say it because other people said it. And, you know, of course, Canada's right there. And, and maybe they are a little nicer. They're just nicer than America. So it's like, okay, they're so nice. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. There might not be. But I'm just, <laughs> that, that, I, that's the only thing I can gather from it. Um, but, yeah, it's so funny because, like, every time I travel to the U.S., I always think, oh, they're so nice. Like, especially in, like, Seattle and places like that, like, on the West Coast, people are just lovely. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, the <laughs> parts of the West Coast that are not burning right now. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, bullying is definitely one of those. It's It sucks because, at least for me, it set me back some years where, even when I got to like high school where I was not being bullied, I was trying so hard to just fit in so that I wasn't the kid that was mm -hmm. at like the bottom, you know, the kid that was like, Oh, he's mm -hmm. going to sit alone. And, you know, so I had some friends, you know, I played like Yu-Gi-Oh cards and stuff. And I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I still like sports, but I had like some nice sneakers and stuff. So I wasn't like, I wasn't dirty or anything. And, but I wasn't an athlete, but I was too shy to be like the, you know, the, the class clown, but I, you know, I had some smarts, but I just had enough friends where, you know, I didn't really get bothered with. Um, but I, I also, I didn't do a whole lot of things where I would like, I would say I sold my soul to be like that. But there's a lot of times where like my friends would be like, oh, that album sucks. And meanwhile, it was on my iPod, that kind of stuff where I just, <laughs> I didn't want to let my true self out. Yeah. Um, because I was afraid to be who I was because at the time when I was most vulnerable and maybe I was the closest thing to myself, I got bullied and, and picked on and, and stuff thrown at me and whatever else. So, uh, bullying can definitely have yeah, an impact yeah. on you that can kind of last longer than you would think, even when it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. It, you know, makes you just want to blend in, not stand out for any reason, good or bad, because you want people to just leave you alone. Yeah, and and they usually don't. And kids could be horrible, and it's um, yeah. I don't know. I I had a neighbor. Uh, I don't think I've ever talked about this on here. But I had a neighbor. He was a lot younger than me. I don't know. I was maybe like nine or ten, and I was still like my eyes were so sensitive to the light. I was still really just kind of getting used to this vision shit, and you know, he would just throw stuff at me, like chairs and all kind of stuff. And I would just be outside playing with my toys, and I wasn't bothering anybody. And he would just throw stuff, and it was just, it was horrible. Um, and yeah. I, I was way bigger, you know, I could have, like, hurt him or something, but I was such a, like, gentle kid. I was such a naive little kid that just, I was playing my Dragon Ball Z toys. Like, I didn't, I didn't want to be bothered with any of that. It was just, you know, I was scared of everything. Um, and that, that's why I said, even yeah. though it kind of benefited me, because I, I never did drugs or alcohol that, because I was just afraid of everything in, in life. Um so that, yeah. that there was a benefit to that, but yeah, there was a lot of that bullying stuff. Like I said, it, it's, it's, it's super hurtful. Like now I don't really care, but maybe it's hard yeah. me now. Maybe I'm a little too rough to the world, but. Um, yeah. I think it changes you. Yeah. But you got to try not to let it turn you into a complete, like just like the opposite, like an asshole, like a guy who's looking or a girl who's just looking for trouble. Cause you can do that too. You can you yeah. see some of these people who've been picked on their whole life and then they get a black belt and now they're an actual weapon, and now they're just looking for people to just mm -hmm. start shit. And it's like, come on, let's fight. And, and so, yeah. I'm still not that. I just, I just don't. I still don't want to be bothered, but I'm not going to take anyone's crap anymore. Yeah, that's a good place to be in for sure. 
Right. Um, so what, what was like high school like for you? Cause I know high school can be really rough. Yeah. High school was better than junior high. People, you know, did grow up a little bit. I also started getting super involved with music in high school. So I was super busy, like with extracurricular stuff because when I was 15, I started recording my first CD. So that kind of like took me away from, from a lot of the high school stuff. And I actually did a lot of my last two years of school on, um, in a cyber school so that I was more free to, you know, play concerts and do recordings and things like that. So that really kept me busy. And that was probably my music was my saving grace in high school for sure. Right. What was the, what was like, at least early on, what was the inspiration for, for your music? I think early on, I was just really trying to make sense of all the complicated teenage emotions that I was feeling. I started with anxiety very young, probably about six or seven. I started to have panic attacks, which I did not know what they were at the time, obviously, because I was a kid, but they were really scary. And then by the time I got into my early teens, I think the depression had set in sort of caused by the anxiety because like who wants to live like that all the time you know constantly feeling sick and and anxious so I just kind of wanted that to end so I was really dealing with a lot of depression plus with the bullying and everything so I really found music as like a haven to really sit down and sit at the piano and put all these things out into the world and you know get them out of my head to try and make sense of how they were feeling or how I was feeling because sometimes I couldn't put it all together in my head but if I sat down and wrote a song about it things would make a little bit more sense um okay interesting so what did you like what's the process for for music for you like did you did you have um uh like was there piano practice or lessons and um, you know, as your, does your music, does it hurt, is your vocals, is it just the instruments? Like, what's the process? Yeah, it's, it's like folk pop, I would say. Um, I use quite a bit of piano because it's my first instrument. But yeah, there are vocals and everything as well. Okay. Um, did you, did you have any lessons? Like, did you just kind of pick it up and figure it out yourself? Or did someone teach you how to play piano or? I did have lessons. I started when I was five and I was like the world's worst music student. I didn't want anything to do with it. I wanted to be making up my my own stuff, like composing my own music. I didn't want to play what was in the books and things like that. So I didn't take piano for long. But then when I started writing music in my early teens, I kind of realized, well, I need to be able to accompany myself while I'm singing, so I'm, I'm going to need to learn to play something. So I went back and took a couple more years of piano lessons in my early teens. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Now, when it comes to, like, the actual writing of it, like, what did you do? Did you put it in Braille? Did you, I mean, with technology, you can just record it on your phone, but, you know, technology has changed over the years. So when you first started it, what was, did you just do it all by memory? A lot of it. I had one of those like little mini tape recorders. I don't know, you know, with right. the yeah, with yeah. the tiny tapes and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have 
one of those kind of on the ledge of my piano and I would write down lyrics um, just on my computer or my classmate or whatever if I wanted to write them in Braille. But mostly just, yeah, either that recorder and then I'd write down the lyrics on my laptop. Is that how you do it now with the laptop? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Yeah, technology is really simplified it's with a lot. the recorder on my phone. Yeah, techni- technology has simplified so many things. Even just doing a podcast, it, it really has. It, you know, they, you know, I, I was told just grab a fo- grab your phone and just talk into it, and and that's how you start. And again, now I'm talking to a fancy mic with a podcast board and all that. But how I started was okay. Let's just do it this way, and um, you know, and even it's a couple of my early interviews, it was. Uh, I don't know how we're going to make, like, how how can I record this phone call because some of the software was just so bad. And, and so I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to call somebody on my phone and I'm going to hit record on my iPad. I'm going to put it on speaker and this is how we're going to do it. Until I got to where I am now yeah. where it's like, okay, this board can record everything. But I didn't know all that. And, and you know, I didn't want to just throw money into something I didn't know if I was committed to either. Um. But yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing, sure. especially for visually impaired and blind people and, and deaf as well. There's a lot of equipment out there, especially with like, you know, I know Apple gets a lot of shit when it comes to, uh, I know, you know, the people, you know, the, the young, you know, Asian kids that have to make our phones and all the horrible minerals that pe- the African kids have to make, or, you know, to dig them up. And there's a lot of horrible things that go into everybody's cell phones. Um, but Apple is notorious for the, you know, a lot of the Asian kids killing themselves over making our stupid phones. And I, it's terrible. But as far as what they do for the visually impaired and blind and, and the deaf, it, it's pretty extraordinary because, you know, I know a lot of blind people who have iPhones and voiceover is like a yeah. godsend to them. Yeah, yeah. And it's so nice that so much of this technology is mainstream now because adaptive tech even 10, 15 years ago probably more 15 years ago you know you have your jaws and packmates and all those things and nothing wrong with those things but you know they were notoriously expensive and hard to fix and you know full of bugs so it's really nice to see that things have become so much more mainstream in terms of adaptive tech and affordable yeah because yeah i mean i, I mean a lot of uh, support, a lot of like technology for visually impaired or for anybody with disabilities or any medical thing, it's crazy expensive. But for yeah. uh, like the phones and stuff, I mean, obviously the phone itself is kind of expensive, but usually all the software on it, all the apps and all that usually are just base model apps or apps that are free. So, yeah, um, yeah. So you're just paying for the fun and the, you know, they're making smaller models where you can get them for like four or 500 bucks. And again, that's still expensive for a lot of people. I understand. Um, but the alternative is to buy the biggest model for like 1200. So, um, yeah, <laughs> but you know, but as far as the, the software or the, the equipment out there, like CCTVs, they're not cheap. If you can find a place that can get them for now, again, no. you, you can get them through some sort, there's companies that can kind of help you out and stuff. I know that, but not everybody has access to that. Um, and I know the, like the, uh, here in Pennsylvania, there's something called the blind and visual services where they help get you stuff. Um, but you know, sometimes they can't. And when it comes to, you know, like there, there was these glasses at the job I had, they wanted us to kind of invest in them because I don't know, they got, a, they got some funding for it. And the, the glasses were $10,000. Um, 
Now, the glasses were essentially like a camera within a glasses form. And you can hook it up to your phone. Oh, yeah. They're called eSight glasses. And you could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were cool because you can can zoom. Like if somebody is across the room, you could zoom in and see exactly their facial expression. You could be far away from them, like almost a room over, and you could still pick up everything. It It was pretty amazing. But... The one detriment down to downside or anything to it is you couldn't walk with them because it was walking with a camera. Right. So if you had your iPhone and you just were holding it up and you were walking with it, it it's out of focus all the time. So it really, it, it you know, and, and then when you find out it's 10 grand, it's like, okay, but this is, yeah. this is just like my iPhone plus, you know, times another 9,000. Like my phone does way more and... I'm not going to wear my phone on my face. So, you know, so it, there's a lot. And, and, you know, they there's some stuff that's a little cheaper and so on. But there's a lot of really great equipment out there. But it's just ridiculously expensive. And, and, and you know, like I said, a lot of people, especially who are in the disabled community, who are trying to get off a disability and are trying to work and all that, they can't afford this stuff. No, no. So some of us are fortunate we can get some of it or we can find other ways around. And that's why this technology, like with my Mac, like I will never not get another Mac because it's not that I'm so loyal to Apple. It's just, you know, forget all the now viruses and all that. But like I hit one button and zoom in and, and I can see anything and I don't have to buy zoom yeah, text or yeah. any of that. Um, of course, if I wanted to use voiceover and all those things, I can, but I, my Mac works so perfectly for what I need it for my eyes. I will, you know, they have the dark mode thing now because for a lot yeah. of, you know, I know this probably, does, I don't know if it really would help you, but a lot of people out there, um, when the iPhones first started, they used to have all the, like the backgrounds to the apps, whether it's the text messaging, the phone app, uh, email, all that was all kind of dark. They were darker. And for visually impaired people, it was it was like our hugest pet peeve. We hated it because it was, or we loved that because it was dark. It was black on white, uh, white lettering on a black backboard, yeah. kind of like a chalkboard. But then they changed it and reversed it and made it white with these gray letters. And it was horrible. We hated it. And we were looking for some sort of alternative. So they came out with this thing called dark mode, which a lot of other services provided, but Apple was late to the party on. And it's, it, it's so much better because I can see, you know, my eyes are very sensitive to light like yours is. And I, and, and I mm-hmm. love just dark backgrounds. It just makes it so much easier for me. Um, so yeah, these are visually impaired problems. People be happy. You don't have them. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. I, you know, it, it's, like I said, I don't know. Like you seem to make it work. Do, do you still, you know, on a daily basis, um, are you still, I mean, I know you have a lot of mental health and stuff like I do, but how are you kind of just before we get to like all your mental health stuff, how are you kind of dealing with just your visual impairment now? I don't know. How old are you? Uh, 33. Thir- oh, okay. So you're literally, I'm about to be 33 in a couple of days. So you're, we're literally <laughs> the same age. So awesome. what do you, well, I don't think it's awesome. Cause I hate Happy early older. birthday. Thank you. <laughs> um, but how are you dealing with it? Just, just on our surface base level, like how are you? Are you like are you better with your visual impairment now? Or are you worse off? Because you seem like when you were a kid, you were kind of okay with it until you had that one experience. Yeah, 
now I'd say, like, I definitely manage fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I can be independent and do the things that I need to do. I don't like being really out in public, and part of that is mental health challenges, and then part of it's just feeling like I'm always being stared at and things like that. So in terms of, like, coping with blindness, like the physical things that I need to do, mm-hmm. I'm great i'm fine but some of the the mental stuff is you know the feeling like an outsider those things are definitely still present but some of that you know just does come down to mental illness as well right all right so i mean obviously that's a good segue um before we, I mean, I kind of want to like a, a build up to your kind of your rock bottom day, which we talked a little bit off mic, but um, what, what was kind of your initial, I mean, I know you had the incident where you were pushed down and all that, but what was your initial, like, when did you realize you had like these inner demons and this mental health that was plaguing you? Pretty early on, I had some problems at my home. My dad had cancer when I was three, so that was you know, we didn't really know what was going to happen with that. And then he got better and he actually left. So there was kind of this anxiety around people and people leaving. And after the incident at the playground, there was the anxiety around what are people thinking of me? Are they going to bully me again? How is that? How am I being perceived? And all of those things. So that definitely led to anxiety pretty early. And by probably grade two I was getting sent home a lot because I was always sick because I was so anxious and then like I said the depression kind of came from there what was you know obviously before the rock bottom part but like what were some of your like just daily thoughts of just whatever about your life or about your impairment or about just you you know what were some of the negative things that kind of creeped in yeah, so when people would say things out in public or, you know, the bullies or whatever, I would always kind of think to myself, this is forever. It will never change. I can't fix this. And, you know, as, as time went by, I just really started disliking myself, I guess, more and more. And it got to the point where I just thought, you know, this is just making it harder. My existence is just making it harder for everybody else. So, you know, the kindest thing to do for other people would be to take my own life so that they don't have to deal with it anymore. So I think, like, a lot of people think suicide is, you know, people who consider it, oh, it's so selfish and all those things. I think usually it isn't. I think usually people who are considering that, you know, they're so that they view it as something altruistic you know I'm going to do this for the greater good right I mean I think it's selfish if you kill yourself and knowing your kids are going to find you or something like that but if you just I mean again I don't know what the right way is because I have you know I attempted one time but I I don't know what the right way is I really don't know but yeah I don't think it's entirely selfish because you can't tell me you know you know what's going on in that person's head and they want to check out and they just don't want to do this anymore. And, and and look, in a way, it is the easier way out because you don't have to, all your pain goes away. Yes. You know, if you believe in God and you believe that you can look down from heaven, you may be struggling much harder because you're going to look at all the people you hurt. And now you got to deal with that. So 
maybe it isn't the easy way out. But again, that's if you believe in that. Um, but you yeah. know, but when it comes to just wanting to just out of this physical pain, wanting wanting to be able to see, you know, just stop from maybe being able, not being able to see and all that, you just want to be done, uh, or whatever your your ailments are, just you're done. You don't got to deal with it anymore. So you're you know, once you get over the hurdle of I'm, I'm committed to this, fuck it. Um, it's the easier way out. Yeah. And. Yeah, and I don't think it's so much that we want to die as if we just, we can't live how we're living anymore. We don't want to do that. Yeah, well, we want the voices in our head to stop. We want to be able to just live a life that's just not sad and angry. And um, we want to, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, you know, in your case, you know, hearing and just being around people who are happy and and. You know, you know, it's nothing worse than going to a party where it's all people that are couples and you're the one single person or whatever. Like, you know, you're just the one person that's just, you know, you just feel like you don't belong. And now you've, you're 33 yeah. years of life. Now you're trying to find this or up until the point where you wanted to end it. Like you're looking for this place that you don't think exists and you're just trying and trying. You're lifting up every rock and you haven't found one place that really you felt like you belong and that's a very harsh reality to kind of accept because when you do finally come to that you're like oh well then if I don't belong anywhere then why am I here and then that's when it's like okay well then I might as well just kill myself what's the point and you don't think about all the other people that's that is the small selfish part of it you don't think about all the people that actually do care about you but because it doesn't matter yeah yeah, for me, I would say I did think about the, the people who cared about me and I knew that they would be upset, but I still thought that in the long term, it would be the better thing for them. Right, which is silly, but yeah, killing, yourself, yeah. killing yourself. <laughs> but is, that's how you think when you're... No, yeah, no, it's, it's irrational and it's, it's, it, it's so ridiculous that you don't even... But you can't think like, like I said. You're you're so locked into this thought now, and your brain has, because like, I'm sure you could, you know, remember, you know now, like you can think that like, hey, when you have these negative thoughts, sometimes some of these thoughts kick your ass, and maybe you you lay around, and the depression beats you up a little bit. But overall, you can dig your way out. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of thoughts that are thrown your yeah. way that are negative. Sometimes, like I've told myself, shut the hell up many times out loud. Cause it's like, TJ, shut up. Really? We're, we're doing this. We're having fun. You are not going to ruin this for me. Um, but like you can fight these thoughts off. But when you're at that point, that low point where you're just, you succumb to all of it. Like you don't, you don't even, like yeah. when people say like, there's the, the good and the, the bad, like the devil and the angel on each shoulder, the angel's gone. And Maybe even the yeah. devil's gone. Like you're just so locked into this one. There is no conscience. Like you're just stuck in this one little other dimension where you just the only thing you can see is pain and anger and sadness. And you know maybe you have a hint of oh maybe your cat will rub against you and go that's cute. But even that you don't get any enjoyment out of it. You don't care about your most tasteful foods and your best memories because none of that shit no. means anything. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> And, you know, I, I don't think I've ever said this either, but there's times where I'm going back and listen to a song or, or something that I loved. And now I'm picking it apart like, oh, this sucks. Why did I ever like this? And it's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm doing this now? Like, that's how bad it Like, you, you, you strip everything that you love and try to just ruin it for yourself so you can't like anything. 
and it's yeah yeah or anything you enjoy to do you know any hobbies you don't do that anymore you don't care yeah and it it sucks because there are people that i mean well at one it's also hard to come out and just tell everybody hey guys i'm suicidal hey guys i want to die because the first thing you think is oh they're just gonna put me in a straight jacket and i'm gonna be you know injected with a bunch of medication and I'm going to be crazy and all these things, but also, you know, everybody's going to look at me differently and all that. And, and to some degree that's right. Some degree it isn't. Um, but yeah, you're so afraid of what other people will think, but also, um, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's, it's just hard. I don't know. It's just hard to, to be that honest with, with everyone when it comes to that, because you're so vulnerable and you hate yourself and even if your mother, whoever's coming up to you and say, hey, you know, I love you. And it's like, you, you, you know, deep down they mean that, but there's still something that's saying like, well, you don't. And, and no one loves me and no one cares because I, no one can make me, no one can get me out of this. No one can make me feel what I want to feel to get to escape from this horrible dimension that I'm stuck in. Yeah. And even though. Yeah, no one can fix this. Yeah, and even though she's done so, you know, whoever in your life has done so much for you and you should be grateful to have them in your life, it doesn't matter because at that point in time, there's nothing they can do to make you feel, or at least maybe you feel that way. Maybe they could, you just won't ever allow them to know what that thing is. Yeah, yeah. You're just not yourself anymore. Like, the things that made, I remember thinking about it after and thinking, you know, the things that made me, me, were already dead. Yeah, because I I do think in life there are certain incidences that can scar you, um, and not mm-hmm. just like the obvious like you were molested or, or, or or you know you saw someone die in front of you, but just like there's you know there's certain people in my life that I don't have anymore. My friend Lori, when she died, I lost a small part of me. I'm not saying I lost a lot of me, but I lost yeah. a small part of me. I can't. I don't think I could ever be that person or some of that person that I was for her when she died. Um. And so I think there's certain parts of things that can happen in your life, good or bad, that can kind of just take something from you and you just, you won't be that anymore. Um, and obviously you mature and things yeah. happen in your life where you, you grow and things become different, but there are things that you genuinely were good, were good about you. Hence the bullying. Like you were an innocent five-year-old kid who didn't care about your blindness and just thought everything was fine. And a kid comes and pushes you down and now all of a sudden now that scars you for life. And now you, you're looking at your blindness and looking at you as a person differently. When before that it was like, Oh, everything's great. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's this bad thing that, you know, you have to try and hide from the world. So this doesn't happen again, which, you know, doesn't work because right. you can't really hide blindness. So no, then it's just another failure, right? Like people notice and you're like, or I'm not doing a good enough job pretending to be a sighted person. Right. Um, but before we, we're going to go into your really darkest time, do you, what do you do for like transportation? Do you have a cane? Do you have a dog? Like, what do you do? I have a cane. I did have a dog. She retired a couple years ago and, and passed away, oh. but, it was great. I loved having a dog for the mobility part of it. You know, teens are obstacle finders and dogs are obstacle avoiders. So that's kind of nice. But the people part of it drove me crazy because I have social anxiety and I don't want to be talking to random people in public because it makes me super uncomfortable. So people would ask, you know, oh, how old is the dog? What's his name? All these things. I'm like, I don't want to have this conversation with you. Wow. 
Yeah, I guess that would. Well, I and mean, a lot of people don't know how to respect the a harness either. So then, no, no, exactly. They'll pet the dog or whatever. So yeah, I have a cane now. That's why I haven't applied for a successor dog as much as I would like to. Maybe they should just start training like really ugly dogs, or just train <laughs> something that's not a dog. Pugs or something. Yeah, train possums or something. Yeah. Well, possums aren't that ugly, but still, train, I mean, because it, it's just, they're so damn cute that it's like, and it's always like the cutest dogs, their tongues are out, they always look happy. It looks like they, they always look like they want yeah, love. Yeah. And a lot of them do. If you go up and like pet them, they'll just, they'll break their whole oath to you and like, yes, belly rubs or, or you know, scratch my ears. But then, you know, of course, yeah, exactly. the owner gets pissed that it's like, but look at him. He wants lovin's. And so it kind of, yeah. if it was one thing, if it was just like a, a big mean dog, even if it was a cute dog, even like a, like a Rottweiler or a Pitbull, but it, it, it was a cute dog, but it, it just, it gave you the vibe of like, no, I'm on, you know, I'm on duty right now. Don't screw with me. No, they always have their mouth yeah, open. Yeah. It's like, yes, love me. Cause she won't love me at this moment. She just wants yeah. me to guide her <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a lot of the labs and things are like that. I would like a guide cat. I think that'd be sweet. <laughs> yeah, there you go, a guide leopard. Why not? Just something that yeah. can't be screwed yeah, with. Totally. Even though they're adorable too, so it's, you know, it's it's just they're so big that they people don't screw with them. Um, <laughs> at least I hope not. Yeah. Um, so kind of take us into kind of the build-up you know, whether it's the day before or time before, you know, obviously were instituted or whatever into the hospital. Like what was, where were you at mindset wise? What kind of, what was the whole lead up? Yeah. So going way back, I started. How, how long ago was this? I'm sorry. Uh, it was back. It was June of 2020. So it was kind of back right when the pandemic started. Okay. So really not that long ago. Okay. So, no, no, it's still fairly, you know, I just had my, not that long ago, my one year anniversary of being released. So, oh, yeah, it's, for you. it's still pretty fresh. But yeah, so like going back to early teens, I started having major depressive episodes and I did plan to kill myself. It didn't work out when I was 14. And I just ended up in a lot of therapy because of it. And things went on. I graduated. I went to university. Things were sometimes good, sometimes not. I would go into major depressive episodes. So if I was lucky, last a couple of weeks. If I wasn't lucky, it would be a lot longer. So all of this was kind of going on. And then in November of 2018, I guess it would have been, I entered into a major depressive episode that didn't end like the others had like got thicker and thicker as the months went on and I stopped eating I stopped sleeping my hair was falling out I knew I didn't have much time to save myself so we set up this emergency doctor's meeting with a doctor I never met before because my regular doctor was on holidays and this doctor was amazing he was really good he you know changed my medicine my medication made sure that I was getting a lot of outpatient support and I was able to stay out of the hospital just barely and things were starting to get better. But then in March of 2020, the pandemic hit and all the doctors, all my doctors, all my therapists stopped seeing people in person 
and they weren't even doing online video calls. It was just phone calls. So they really weren't seeing how I was deteriorating. And I hadn't been in recovery long enough to really manage on my own. So because they were harder to get a hold of and I just wasn't getting the support that I had been before I started slipping. And by June, I was very, very sick. I was a skeleton. I was, it's hard to describe. I was pretty much, I was like a zombie. Like I said before, I was alive. I was breathing, but I was as dead as a live person could be. Everything that made me who I am was gone. And so I decided, no, I'm, this is it. I can't do this anymore. I can't control everything. Everything's so out of control. And control has always been a huge thing for me. I'm an absolute control freak. So I decided, no, the only thing I can control is how and when I'm going to die. So I made plans. I got everything ready in order and I decided that as an unspoken promise to myself and my loved ones I was going to go to the hospital and I would tell them and if I didn't if they just I, I figured they would just be like oh you're fine go home and then I could kill myself with <laughs> a bit more of a clear conscience I guess because I figured people would at least know like oh well she tried right she went to the hospital Hmm. But it obviously didn't work out that way. Um, I were, ended up before. I went to the sorry, hospital. before you go on, did, were you taking any medication at the time for your depression? Yes. And it wasn't yeah, working. Yeah, I was. No, it wasn't working. We were, you know, it's so trial and error, right? Especially when you're taking multiple psych medications at once. Is you know you're <laughs> beating one symptom only to have another because these two medications aren't working properly together and all these things so it was very much like trial and error and we were still really figuring it out when the pandemic hit and then without that support we weren't really looking into how the medications were working together as as you know well as we should have been looking into it at the time because it still was in such a trial and error stage. So yeah, I was taking a number of medications at that point that honestly probably worked together to make things worse because it just wasn't a good combination for me. Right. And that was probably part of the thing with the doctors too, where you, you could get your medications changed or get something fixed. But since you didn't have your main doctor, uh, it slowed everything mm -hmm. down and you just stayed put. And that's probably what kind of did you in at the time. Yeah, yeah, I remember calling the doctor's office because I was going to beg him to do something for me and I couldn't get in touch with him. So I just was kind of like, okay, I'll take that as a sign. <laughs> yeah, that, that see, that's when your your mental health is so ridiculous because you, you're looking for every reason to, to hang in there and your mind is about yeah. to go, I told you so, but it's waiting for you to fall on your face and it it tells you I told yep. you so at the perfect time because it has all yeah. the information back. Like it has every part, every thing of evidence that it needs to go, okay, remember that, 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 and now, ta-da, this, the current day, you fell on your face again. How many times are you going to realize no one loves you or life is not for you and all that? And that that's, that's the ridiculous part. But again, your brain is always one step ahead of you. So... You know, it knew this was yeah. going to happen. 
Yeah, yeah. It was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And after he didn't, after I couldn't get him on the phone, I just remember thinking, well, what the hell is he going to do anyways? Right. He can't fix this. So and he probably could have, but he let you down mm-hmm. and he let yeah. you down at the worst time when you needed him most. Yeah, I think it was just so chaotic. Nobody knew, you know, these were the first days of the pandemic. Nobody had a clue what was going to happen. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people suffering from a lot of different illnesses who were in treatment before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. you know, we kind of got swept under the rug and we kind of got screwed. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people really got screwed over when it comes to the pandemic. People don't realize it, it wasn't just... You know, a lot of people were bitching because they couldn't go places and all that. And, you know, some of it was just kind of stupid stuff because they, you know, it's like spend some time with your family or whatever. But a lot of people's health issues really got, you know, I, I, I sit there and worry about all the people that or I think about the people who died in a hospital alone because people couldn't mourn them. They had to mourn them from, mm-hmm. you know, 20 miles away or whatever because they're not allowed to visit. Um, so that, Yeah, that's yeah, it. exactly. Um, but yeah, that's not a two side track. So, you, so you were laying in bed and, and horrible thoughts were going through your mind. Uh, what kind of happens next? Yeah. So the hospital. I went to the hospital. I was admitted, um, under the, the, uh, mental health act in my province, which basically means that they can hold on to you if they, and it has to be a doctor. Everybody always thinks like your family can submit you or whatever. They can't. It has to be a doctor that does the paperwork. Mm-hmm. And so basically, if you, if a doctor feels that you are too much of a risk to yourself or others, they can keep you against your will as a patient and treat you. So that's what happened to me. And at first, I was just really kind of biding my time to get out and still kill myself you know it's just I viewed it as an inconvenience like oh I have to wait a couple more days because of this but oh well like at least my family will hopefully be happy that I went into the hospital and I did try so I was really just waiting for them to let me out and then one night I was laying in bed and I couldn't sleep and somebody was brought in by air ambulance in critical condition and as soon as they arrived they called a code blue so which means um respiratory or like basically they're having a heart attack or they can't breathe and they need immediate medical intervention so I started thinking about this person and thinking like oh their loved ones must be having one of the scariest nights of their lives because they don't know if this person's gonna live or die and I started thinking how can I have so much compassion for this person's loved ones and I know the decision I want to make is going to devastate my own and then I started thinking about patients and how weird is it that this patient is here in this bed fighting to live and I'm over here in this bed and I'm fighting to die and I realized I have a choice you know this person might not but I have a choice and I knew in that moment that I could choose I had to make that choice then and I could choose to live or I could choose to die and if I was going to choose to live then I knew I had to try and do something good from a really difficult situation which is the night that I decided that I was going to tell my story and, and write my book and tell that, you know, all too common story for people who no longer can. Yeah, no, I and mean, I commend you for being so brave because a lot of people are, are afraid to share these type of stories 
Um, and to be as honest, because a lot yeah, of people don't, yeah. everyone kind of wants to leave certain parts out because certain things, you know, especially with guys, they don't want to look too weak or, um, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of things, there's a lot of factors that go into where people don't want to say every little piece of it because, um, you know, you don't want to be as vulnerable to the world to let people know how weak you were and how not only just weak minded, but just, you know, you just were done. You gave up on life. And to say, you know, hey, you know, I was committed and all these things. Like, those are the things that there are certain labels that go on you. Forget, you know, we, we already know that the blind thing is already one. But there's a lot of labels that can be yeah. put on you. And once they're on you, and once people hear that, or some people hear it, it's like, oh, so you're just crazy. Or, oh, you're just suicidal. Or, yeah. oh, you're this and that. And, you know, it changes people. But when you come out and are honest about it, yeah, you're going to get that. But you're going to help people because yep. there's a lot of Absolutely. people that are struggling with it that feel like, you know, again, back to they're just alone. And even though people kill themselves yeah. all the time, suicide is up, unfortunately. But, you know, especially with COVID. And, um, but yeah, people, and, but forgetting, forget the people that have already done it. There are, who are going to do it. There are a lot of people, as I've said many times and what we said, talked about off the mic, there's a lot of people that are, where you were before this, where you were, hmm, I want to live, but maybe I should just, let me go to the doctor. Let me see if he can help. Oh, he's not going to help. Well, I guess I'm done. And, and you're, you're looking for every way yeah. to staying alive. You're looking, you're looking for every excuse to, to live and die. And, but there's still a part of you that's in there is like, oh, I know there are people that love me. I know there's some good things about life. You know, I, I do want to see the next episode of my favorite show or whatever. There are things that I kind of care about, but they're they're kind of insignificant. And so I just don't want to live, but I kind of do. And you're just, you're looking for every reason. And then you get to this big incident and, you know, you're so just downtrodden and just done. You don't care anymore. And there's nothing anyone can do. But then, you know, there are moments where, whether you think it's a, a miracle, whether you think it's something to do with God or whatever, it goes, look, this is it. This is your wake-up call. You want this or you want, you know, you want to die? After this, you can die. Um, so, you know, when you speak about this stuff, if you don't, how many people that are like you, whether they're women, whether they're disabled, whether they're whatever, um, that are going, that are wanting to kill themselves and maybe one of them hears it, this story and goes, shit, I, that's me. And I don't, now I yeah. don't know if I want to die because she went through it and she made it through because there are times where you feel like there is no way in the world you're going to make it through it. And then you do. And it just becomes yeah. part of your armor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's incredible. You look back on it. And you think, there's no way I thought in that moment that I was going to make it through. And then here I am. And, you know, remembering back to, to that time and seeing other people do it but nobody really wanted to talk about the darkness everybody would just be like oh you know i went through a really dark time but i'm better now right. and i think it's so important to share that darkness because you know otherwise people do feel so alone with it and they feel like these thoughts are bad or they're the only person having them so they must be wrong and and all this thing all this stuff and like no it's not Oh, there are so many people who feel like that too and who feel like they won't make it through and there are so many people who do make it through yeah 
Yeah, it, it, it does it a disservice if you if you leave out certain parts because a lot of people, if you skip past, you know, all the I want to kill myself and all the horrible things that you thought about other people, even people that you loved, if you skip past that, there's a lot of people that will hear that and go, oh, I guess I'm the only one that has those thoughts. And then I guess, I, yeah. you know, yeah, they went through a tough time, but they never had to go through this and I'm the only one. And again, there's a, like I said, that that's that's the thing. Like if yeah, if you we could ever, um, just kind of see what's in everyone's brain just for a minute, and all the thoughts that they really wanted to say, you know, because we're in this you know cancel culture now where everybody gets in trouble for shit they said thirty years ago, but there are shit that everyone could be canceled <laughs> yeah. for right now. It's just it's in their head, it's said in their household, or it's done in their household or whatever, um, and so. You know, so there's a, so if you took all the shit that's in all our heads, it would put us all on a, a, just a level playing field because a lot of people think that they're not as crazy or they're not as bad or, you know, even just like, let's say with guys, like guys, every guy won't admit to you that like at one point in time in their life, they thought maybe they were gay. Doesn't mean they were, it could have been for two seconds, but they never want to admit that because it doesn't, it's not cool for guys to go you know, oh yeah, maybe mm -hmm. I was gay. Like, you know, just for a second. But it doesn't, you know, it's just one of those things where it's just like no one wants to admit their actual real feelings and thoughts to the world. And when it comes to killing yourself, again, it goes back to the labels. Once you say, I thought about killing myself, yeah. that goes on your resume uh, in life as, oh, you're just a suicidal person who's crazy and doesn't appreciate what you have and, and all these things. And it doesn't matter whether you were under the influence of something. It doesn't matter if you were just you had traumatic things that happened in your life, whatever. It doesn't matter. There's no excuses for that f to some people, even though it isn't an, an absolute yeah. excuse. It's just, you know, it's hard to explain to people who are not dealing with it at this point in time. And you don't wish it on people. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, I mean, I wear no, it. No, you wouldn't wish that on anybody. Yeah, I wear it, but I don't, I'm not proud to be depressed. I'm not proud to battle mental health every day. I, I feel stronger yeah. in some ways because I know I'm always fighting and uh, I'm fighting for many things. Yeah. I'm an advocate and I'm fighting for people with disabilities to have a better lives and so on. And, you know, I'm fighting for just my own respect as a person with a disability and a visual impairment, but I'm fighting myself yeah. and, and I win the best, mm -hmm. I win the biggest battle. I don't win them all, but I win the biggest one. I'm still here. So I could be proud of yeah. that. Same with you and, and, and many yeah. others. You just, and so, but I'm not proud to sit here and say, yeah, like I'm fucked up. It, it sucks. But you know what? Like I know a lot of people are screwed up and they're screwed up for different reasons and they're just afraid to admit it. And I'm just, I'm not going to sit here. I don't know if I want to go with it. I'm broken or whatever, but I, I just, I have problems and I'm okay to, I'm not ashamed to admit it because I know there are people that are way worse off than me. In, in, in many ways, you know, like with you, you have way less sight than me. I'm fortunate to have some sight. It's not the greatest, but I have some, and I'm fortunate and lucky enough to have that. Um, but I'm fortunate enough to be able to walk. I'm fortunate enough to, that I haven't killed myself. I'm fortunate enough to so many things. So um, you just I got, you got to try to find ways to appreciate what you have and what you, you know, what you don't. It's still time to get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm making that conscious choice to make that decision to choose life every day and to choose to be grateful and because it's not easy and it, it never gets 
I mean, it gets easier, but I think people think that recovery from mental illness is like this destination that you get to. And it's not really. Recovery to me is making healthy decisions every day. Right. Um, Your book, is it all about like that day or is it all about your mental health? Like what, what, what's all in the book and what's, what's the title? It really, it's called holding on by letting go. And it really goes back to the very beginning. It actually starts with that incident on the playground and kind of goes forward from there. And yeah, really talks about what things were like growing up as a blind kid, what things were like in school the difficulties I had with technology or getting class notes in an accessible format, all that kind of stuff. And kind of running parallel through that is at the same time my developing struggles with my mental health. And then, so that's kind of part one of the book. And then it really gets into those last weeks before I was hospitalized. And then part two actually goes through the entire hospital experience so people can get a better idea of what that's actually like because people, everyone always kind of asks, oh, you know, is it like it is in the movies? What's it actually like? And I think there's a lot of really unfortunate misconceptions about it that make people hesitant to go there if they really do need help in a setting where they can be kept safe. So I really wanted to kind of, you know, strip away the mystery of what actually happens behind those locked doors and give people an idea that it's not, you know, it's not pleasant, but it's also quite, not quite as scary as people think it is. Yeah. I think it's just more scarier of just being alone in a bed and being trapped with your own thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough, but again, it's one of those things that while you're in it, you're like, I'm never going to get through this. And then, Suddenly, there comes a day when you realize, oh, I, I got through it. Right. Did they medicate you while you were there? Yes. Okay, I figured. Even, I mean, to have positive thoughts out of nowhere, even even with the realization of that person coming in um, with the code blue, you know, you still, something had to be kind of helping you, like stir you to a better positive light. Yeah, for sure. That was kind of the beginning and when I kind of realized that I wanted to be an active participant in my treatment plan and really cooperate with the doctors and nurses and do the best that I could to get better. So that was, you know, kind of the turning point, but it definitely wasn't like this thing where I woke up the next morning and like, oh, I'm all better. That was when the real work actually started. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it sucks is the realization of like, oh, I'm starting from the beginning and, and you yeah. know, doing it. And at that time you would have been probably 32. So it's like, you're, you're in your, yeah. you know, early thirties and you're saying, I got to start over. Like I got to start over, but it's not like I'm starting over from like, I'm 10. No, I, I get in the same age and I got to yeah. start over and I got to change my mindset. I got to do all these things. It's like, you know, saying like you got to get in shape for something, but just mentally in shape. And obviously in your case, it was also yeah. a physical thing too, because you were so, you know, anemia, you know, I can't even speak today, but you were, you were so skinny and, and um, you know, anemic that, you know, you needed to work on your body yeah. and your mind that. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I came in very sick physically too. So. Right. So, you, I mean, but again, it, it really all trickles. 
I don't want to say down, but it all you know starts from the highest part, your brain, and then it trickles down from there. Absolutely. And once you kind of so yep. all the physical stuff from that point on, like if your mind doesn't want to do stuff, the rest of your body's just gonna go okay. Then I guess we're just not doing stuff. Um, yeah. So do you have any kind of? I always had like the very oh before before I ask you that, do you um where where can people find your music? So you can find my music on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, basically anywhere you listen to music. Um, if you visit my website, it has like all the links to everywhere you can find my music and my book and everything, okay, which is www.heather-hutchison.com, H-U-T-C-H-I-S-O-N. And yeah, you can listen to music and everything there. I will definitely check that out later, but also I will put that when the episode comes out, I'm going to put it in the, the link description. Um, so if anybody wants awesome, to hear thank you, you, it'll be in there. Um, but yeah, do, do you have any like advice for, um, you know, I always like to let people talk to themselves as, essentially like the, uh, another version of you, the, the 2020 version in June of you, uh, you know, a girl who, or guy, but you know, especially a woman that just struggling with their mental health and they're in the same boat, like beyond, you know, even if they don't have the exact experience that got you out of it, but let's say they're laying in bed and they're hearing this and they're kind of, they're done. Um, what kind of advice do you have for yeah. them to kind of overcome it? Yeah, I'm not going to, you know, give empty platitudes, like tomorrow's a better day, cheer up, those kind of things. Because I think for me, every time I heard those things, I would just, that would be the moment that I would stop listening to whoever was talking. Right. But what I can say is that I can promise that there will come a day where you will stop in a moment and you'll feel so much joy in that moment. And you'll think to yourself, I would have missed this. And I really hope with all my heart that you will hang on for that day because it is worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I appreciate you for, for coming on here. Like I said, you're a very brave person. I'm Thanks very- for having me very happy to know you and we've become friends outside this now. And, um, you know, I say this all the time, but you know, but I said it to you already before, but like I said, if you ever need anything, please reach out and, um, you know, maybe down the road we'll do like an update episode and how you're, you're doing, you know, I don't know, a couple of years from now, just kind of how you're lying. I mean, you're, yeah, you're yeah. doing better now. Um, how's your, how's mm-hmm. your, how's your health overall? Like right now, but you know, obviously the eyes are whatever, but the rest of you, much better yeah it's like <laughs> night and day is crazy yeah i mean like you know from people who don't know like when you see picture she's a beautiful girl like she's smiling and it's like you know it's like wow okay this is the girl that was nearly on death's door so uh whatever you did you yeah pretty incredible transformation um but yeah please yeah yeah it was a lot of work but yeah but that's that's okay you appreciate it in the end journey is kind of the the best part of it um but yeah like i said i appreciate you and what you do and just keep doing what you're doing don't uh don't stop and don't listen to what people are saying about you even though i know it's hard not to especially when you can't see because you're hearing in your eyes but you know from someone who can see a little bit uh you are a beautiful person in both ways in and out and just uh like i said keep doing what you're doing and again thank you thank you and uh, we'll we'll talk soon, okay? Sounds good. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. 
um, that was great. I enjoyed her. Uh, I, I say that about everyone, but no, I really do. I, I it's sharing these stories is always very inspiring to me. And um, sometimes I kind of get sad when I don't have any interviews going on because they do inspire me so much and they do get me going. It's like, a, you know, you go to the gym and you have your playlist and, and songs that just kind of pump you up. Like, that's kind of like what this is for me. Uh, it kind of gets the juices flowing. I know, Bullet. I know. You want to say, come here. Come say hi. Come here. You're just laying on the floor doing your little happy rolls, which I'm going to put that up on Instagram of his happy rolls. Uh, so every time I come home or he he's just super happy to see me, uh, he just lays on the side and then shows his belly and then rolls to the other side and then the other side I rub his belly and he'll roll it over. He just keeps doing it over and over and he's just, he's just happy. He's got his happy rolls and his happy feet. His happy feet are when he's kneading and he like does his little toe gripping and he grabs this, this one blanket he loves, um, which Sue Ellen got me. He has a giraffe on it. He loves it. And there's an Afghan too, grandma maybe he likes, but I guess it's certain materials, but when he's happy, he just, he's just a good boy. Um, but yeah, no, like I said, I, I really do. And just appreciate everyone that wants to do this and, and allows me to tell their story. Some people, some of my friends have come out and said like, how do you find all these people? It's like, man, like I, I try, I care. Like there's people that say no. There's people that a, a lot of people don't respond. Oh, here's bullet. And, uh, look at the people who have and, and they're so much better than a lot of people that probably would have said yes. Um, but there's some people I really, really want and you know, maybe I'll get them. Maybe I won't either way. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep doing this and you know, I hope everybody keeps their head up. Um, I've been back and forth with my emotions, but I've been in a better place mainly lately. Um, uh, as I said to her off mic, this is actually was supposed to be episode 95, but I realized I didn't do an 88. So I had an 87, 89, 90 through 94, and somehow I forgot 88. So, um, this is actually going to be recorded after those other episodes. Um, yeah, because right now it is October. What is it, Bullet? No, it's not October. I'm sorry. It's September 29th. Um, so, yeah, that's when this was recorded. Does anybody cares to know and he's even made it this far? Uh, but yeah, thank you guys again. I appreciate all your support. Like, comment, subscribe, share with anyone you think you can help. Um, you know, I don't do this because, or I don't just do it because it makes me happy or because I'm looking to make some money off it or whatever. I'm doing this because it does help people and, and the numbers are going up. So I know people are really liking it and, and I, and I get comments all the time and I'm, I'm happy for that. And I know I'm doing what I need to be doing. So um, I hope you all find that for you as well and just look out for each other. Uh, any final messages, bullet? Hey, hey, no, just gonna look at me with his cute eyes. Uh, the golden eyed child. All right, guys, I'll see you next week and, um, coming soon. Uh, intro music and outro music, uh, after episode 90 from there on out. Yeah.